This is How to Reach the West Again, a podcast that aims to inspire and empower a fresh missionary encounter with Western culture. I'm your host, Brandon O'Brien. Welcome to season two of the How to Reach the West Again podcast. Last season, we explored the several dimensions of a missionary encounter with Western culture. We talked to a lot of interesting people from across Europe and North America about a range of topics related to culture and Christian mission. This year, we're narrowing our focus to cities. What are they? What does the Bible say about them? How do we plant churches there? What does it mean to love them? What unique challenges and opportunities does city ministry present? At City to City, we refer to this constellation of questions and our concerns about them as city vision. And our reason for spending a whole season on cities is simple. We won't reach the West if we don't reach cities. Cities are growing in size and population every year, everywhere in the world, including the West. And denominations and sending agencies and a lot of Christian organizations are often ill-equipped to reach urban populations. And so in this season, we'll keep turning the topic of city ministry over and over, looking at it from many different angles and hopefully come away with a clearer vision and a deeper passion for serving in the great cities of the world. Now, if you happen to live somewhere you wouldn't consider a city, there's plenty for you here too. Knowing how to learn and love and serve the place we live in is an important skill for all of us, whatever type of community we inhabit. In today's episode, we'll hear a classic presentation from Tim Keller that articulates City to City's City Vision. Tim explains why we must reach cities, how we should go about it, and why we are confident it can be done. Next, we'll talk to Caroline Miller and Gurma Bishaw, two people who are passionate about city ministry in the great city of London. But first, Tim Keller. Why we must reach the cities, the great global megacities, how we should reach those cities, and why we can reach those cities. Why we must, how we should, why we can. Why must we reach cities? Because cities are so crucially important. Culturally, missiologically, viscerally, culturally. In the last year, both uh, the Financial Times and Foreign Policy, two very important international journals, did major issues on megacities and the importance of them. And in Foreign Policy, we read this. The 21st century will not be dominated by America or China or Brazil or India but by the city. In an age that appears increasingly unmanageable, cities rather than states are becoming the islands of governance on which the future world order will be built. Time, technology, and population growth have massively accelerated the advent of this new urbanized era. Already, more than half the world lives in cities and that percentage is growing rapidly. Just 100 cities account for 30% of the world's economy and almost all of its innovation. If you want human life as it is lived in this world to be shaped at all by Jesus Christ, 
You have to, we have to go to the city. Secondly, missiologically, we have to go because they're so important missiologically. Four kinds of people that are there. First of all, if you want to reach the next generation, you've got to go to the cities because young adults disproportionately want to live in cities and that's where they go. You've got to go where they are. If you want to reach the new generation, in whatever culture you're in, you've got to go to cities. Another group, the most unreached people in the world, the most unreached peoples, are more reachable in cities. When they immigrate to cities, either from the rural areas into cities in their own homeland or to other countries' cities, uh, they, they break their kinship ties, uh, they're in a more pluralistic environment, they are far more, humanly speaking, open to the gospel than they would ever have been in their previous habitat. If you want to reach the most unreached peoples in the world, go to cities. So you have to reach unreached peoples, there you reach the younger generation. Uh, thirdly, the people who tend to make the films, write the books, do the business deals, they're there. The people that have the biggest impact on the cultures of the world are there. And lastly, intriguingly, the poor. If you want to go to, if you go to cities, you not only reach the elites of the world, but you reach the poor. Something like one-third of all the people moving into the great cities of the world today are going to live in shanty towns. And God cares about the poor, and he loves the poor. And if you go to the cities, you not only reach the next generation, you not only reach the most unreached peoples, you not only reach the people at the top, you reach the people who God loves at the bottom. Missiologically, that's where you have to go to reach those people. So culturally, missiologically, but the city is important viscerally. Now, what do I mean by viscerally? From the heart? In Jonah chapter 4, at the end, uh, Jonah is very unhappy because God has not destroyed the great city of Nineveh. Very unhappy. But he's very happy with a vine that has grown up. A beautiful vine. He's gotten very emotionally attached to it. Uh, because it's beautiful and it gives him shade in that very hot environment. And that's natural and right to love part of God's green earth. But then the vine dies, and he gets anguished and discouraged and depressed, and God makes an argument. God says to him, you are emotionally attached to the vine and not caring about the, 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 where's, what happens to Nineveh. Jonah... You love plants, but I love people. Now, Psalm 19 tells us nature does reflect God's glory. But human beings, according to Genesis 1, made in the image of God, reflect God's glory more than anything else in creation. And in cities, you have more image of God per square inch than anywhere else in the world. And so God makes a numbers argument you know, we're not supposed to care about numbers. And he makes a numbers argument. He says, Jonah, there's 120,000 people in Nineveh. It's a massive number for the time. That do not know their right hand from their left. How can you fail not to be moved by that? I am. A missionary friend of mine once quipped, the country is where there's more plants than people. And the city is where there are more people than plants. 
And because God loves people more than plants, he's got to love the city more than the country. And that is exactly God's argument to Jonah. People are streaming into the city, as you just saw. 300 years ago, less than 3% of the world's population lived in cities. Today, it's over 50% and growing rapidly. It's estimated that 8 million people every two months move into the cities of the world. That's one new Bangkok every two months. The church has to be everywhere there's people, right? But the people are moving into the city faster than the church is. If you love what God loves, that's the visceral. If you love what God loves, you'll love the city. If you want to go where the people are going, you've got to go to the city. And our churches are not going to the city anywhere nearly as fast as the people are. That's why we must reach the city. Now secondly, briefly, how we should. And I just want to give you some headings here. Those of you who want to go deeper can come to the multiplex later. Uh, there's a, you know, it's, urban China is different than China. Urban America is different than America. Urban Africa is different than Africa. And when you take churches, which we tend to do, that have been forged out in Africa and put them into urban Africa, we find they're not effective. I wonder why. Because they have to be contextualized, and our, and our churches are not contextualized for the city, and therefore they're not being effective. If you're going to contextualize a church for the city, consider these headings. Churches in the city have to be extremely patient with charges of cultural insensitivity. Because center city churches will always have people from different cultures. Every culture conceives of time differently, emotional expressiveness differently, honor and shame differently. They make decisions differently. And if you're going to have an effective center city church in these great global cities, they're going to be multicultural. And therefore, people are always going to be charging one another with cultural insensitivity. And unless you, if you're not extremely patient with constant charges of cultural insensitivity, you're not going to be an effective urban church leader. You have to always be expecting it. You have to always be patient and listening to it. And you know you'll never solve it. But the fact that you're open to it and you're learning from it and you're, you're, you're being patient with it proves that you have begun to contextualize for a city. Because churches outside of cities really don't have to put up with that kind of uh, conflict. Secondly, churches and cities have to show people how their faith relates to their work, their job, their vocation. People in cities, their work is much, a much bigger part of their lives than it is outside. And as Dorothy Sayers, the, the British essayist said, what good is a church that tells you nothing that's relevant to nine-tenths of your life? And that's nine, urban dwellers, nine-tenths of their life is their work. I remember some years ago, an actor came to me who had just become a Christian at my church. And he sat down and he said, I want you to disciple me. I said, great. How to do evangelism, Bible study. I knew all this stuff. I learned it in seminary. So I sat down and he said, what roles can I take as a Christian and what roles should I not take? And then he said, what do you think of method acting? And I said, what's method acting? Well, he said, 
So here, you know, in, in America, they say, don't act angry, get angry. But in Britain, they say, act angry. Which should it be? As a Christian, you know, what does Christianity have to say to these various things? And I looked at him and I said, I have no idea. Because I only know how to disciple people by bringing them out of their work world into my church world. That's how I was trained. But in your, if you're in an urban church, you can't do that. You have to help people integrate their faith with their work. Thirdly, you have to be constantly open to disorder and change. You have to live with that and know you're gonna live with that. Fourthly, your church has to be intensely evangelistic and famous for its concern for justice at the same time. Very rare, but you can't afford not to have that balance if you're, uh, unless, if you're an urban church. Number five, there has to be a commitment to the arts. Uh, churches in the city, uh, churches outside the city do not need usually to be as attentive to the arts, but in the city you have to be. And lastly, sixthly, churches in the city have to be cooperative with other churches of other denominations and traditions in a way they can, they can afford not to be elsewhere. You can just live in your own tribe. In the city, you'll never reach the city unless you're very cooperative with other believers across denominational lines. Those are some headings. I, I know that all of those things are things that outside of cities are optional. It would be nice if you have them in your church. In cities, they're absolutely necessary. Lastly, let me tell you why we can do it. Many of us are defeatist about this. We're afraid the big cities, we don't know how to reach them. We can do it. Here's why we can. In Genesis 18, God visits Abraham and says to Abraham, I'm going to go destroy these cities, your neighboring cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm gonna destroy them. And Abraham approaches God and he does three things that are just remarkable. First of all, he begins to pray for an unbelieving city. That's unique in the Old Testament. Moses, Samuel, Jeremiah prayed for their own people. But Abraham begins to pray for these unbelieving cities. Oh yes, you say, he was concerned about Lot, but why, in the, his nephew who lived there, but why didn't Abraham say, get Lot free, then blast him? He didn't do that. He's praying for these unbelieving, wicked, pagan cities. That's the first thing he did. The second thing he did was he essentially endangered himself for their sake because he approaches God, the holy God, and asks him again and again to spare the city. At one point, Abraham knows how dangerous this is. He says, I who am but dust and ashes, let me speak again. But the most dangerous thing for him was by sparing the cities, Sodom and Gomorrah continued to be a threat to Abraham. They were dangerous for Abraham. This could have been Abraham's opportunity to get rid of them, but he didn't. He prayed for these cities. He sacrificed, risked his life for these cities. But most of all, he made a theological case. It's an amazing case. He said, if there's 50 righteous men, if there's 40 righteous people, if there's 30 righteous people, will you spare these cities who deserve destruction for the sake of these righteous people? And you know what that theological argument is? It was a case because Abraham was acting as a representative, he was acting as a high priest, and he was, he was making a case. And he was saying, is it possible that the righteousness of the few could secure mercy for the many, the undeserving many? Could the righteousness of the few somehow 
save the undeserving many. But in the end, though Abraham is acting as a high priest, he didn't get his prayer, did he? It didn't work. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. They didn't have the high priest they needed. But we do. Jesus Christ, the ultimate high priest. Abraham prayed for people, interceded for people who might have killed him. But Jesus Christ, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus Christ interceded for people who did kill him. Abraham risked his life for these unbelieving cities. Jesus gave his life for the unbelievers. But most interesting of all, Abraham had a theological concept. Isn't it possible that somehow the righteousness of the few might cover the sin of the many? But Jesus Christ is the reality. Jesus Christ is the only righteous one. God made him sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He's the reality to which Abraham pointed. And when you find him your savior, when he becomes your high priest, you and I can become the priests that the cities of this world need. We can pray for them like the Jews were told, pray for Babylon and seek the peace of the city. We should sacrificially lay our lives out for the people in the city. They should see, even though we don't believe in them, we care about them, we love them neighbor love we should pray for them because we have now been empowered to be the priests that those cities need we should sacrificially lay out our lives for them but most of all we should offer the righteousness of jesus christ to cover their sin that they may be saved because he's the priest that those cities needed we now believing in him become the priest that our cities need and we can be the priests our cities need look at the cities of this world. Look at the masses of these cities, God says. Why aren't you moved by them? Why aren't you going there? So let's go. Thank you. Our two guests today are moved by the city. The first is Gurma Bishaw. My name is Gurma Bishaw. Um, so when I introduce my name, always I give um, what it means, kind of this meaning, to just to give it a, a little bit of profile. Uh, Gurma means majesty, so in case you forget my name, you can say your highness. Gurma was born and raised in Ethiopia and moved to London to attend university. He's lived in London ever since. Among other things, he works as a city catalyst for an organization called the London Project. So I am the city catalyst for the London Project, and... The, the work of a city catalyst is really to introduce the vision and the mission of the London Project and inspire people to, uh, to have a citywide um, uh, perspective and um, aspiration to see a, a gospel movement in the city of London. So that's, that's really, that's catalyzed that, that's a gospel movement in the city. The other voice you'll hear belongs to Caroline Miller. Caroline is a London local, born and raised, the daughter of South Asian immigrants. 
So my name's Caroline Miller. I'm, I'm Director of Operations at London Project. And I guess at this early startup sort of um, period of the London Project, my role kind of covers um, looking at the strategy, the strategic direction, looking at how, um, how we catalyse people and how we are going to hopefully fulfil our aims of seeing a gospel city movement in the city. So everything from operations as well, um, but really c the capacity building behind it. You've alluded uh, already to the, this question a little bit, but can you explain what it is the London Project aims to do? What are its goals and what's the vision here? Well, at the heart of it, we want to see a gospel city movement. And I think, um, you know, even though Gurma's role is as a catalyst, I think we really see the London Project as a catalyst in the city. So it's really about, you know, seeing what, is going on in the city, um, but really seeing where we can actually catalyze relationships and where we can catalyze, you know, more good happening in the in the city. I'm curious, what what brought you here? What appeals to you about the London Project? So I uh, have been I've been a pastor for 18 years in the Ethiopian and Eritrean um, community. And, um, you know, this is a Ethiopian church. Uh, we do our um, sermons, our services in, in our own language in Amharic. So, you know, it's just Ethiopians and Eritreans, and it was very exclusive um, ministry. So as um, our young people start to grow, our, um, uh, you know, our interaction with the wider community starts to, to grow. We started, I, I started to... Uh, um, find it difficult to, um, you know, continue in, in kind of ethnic-based um, ministry. And I was just started to question um, the, how, can, how can we uh, serve, embrace the, 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 the wider community? What does it mean for us to be in London? How can we, um, you know, the second generation and the first generation's um, mission field is different. So the second generation, it's the wider community. Um, for us, it's uh, the migrant um, Ethiopians and Eritreans. So, um, and how can we um, really uh, ignite fire in the young people about their mission field if we don't have a heart for that mission field? So those all questions um, started to, you know, um, develop in me. And eventually I <coughs> resigned from my, my pastoral position to engage in mission, to, in, to encourage um, the ethnic churches to be more missional, to connect with uh, their localities and to consider that uh, to, to involving in a wider mission of God uh, beyond their ethnicity. So that led me to uh, interact with um, people from uh, other countries as well as uh, with indigenous, uh, you know, white, white community. And um, um, so it is, it is, so as, as I do that, I, I started to develop a heart for London, for Britain. And um, so while I was doing that, um, I was introduced to um, Neil and um, eventually um, I found London Project to be very much um, in the line, my line of work, um, and um, that's what really drew me to the London Project. So, uh, in your work as a catalyst, 
now you're kind of helping people go on the same journey that you took yourself to get a sense of the larger perspective of London and the ministry that's that can be done outside of someone's local congregation or neighborhood. Exactly. The question of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in the diaspora community, the, the tendency is that we are um, very much um, saying, you know, it's not my responsibility really to, to reach the white community. It's the white community's responsibility. My, my responsibility is to reach my own kind of um, people. But I, I found that very, you know, very difficult to, you know, to, uh, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are called to embrace and participate in the wider mission of mission of God. The reason why we tended to focus on our own ethnicity is that, uh, you know, like uh, we don't feel um, it's our job to do to do to do that. But I think um, it's, it's to do with. This, your sense of identity, your sense of identity being linked with ge your geographical location, where, where you came from. So in my own journey, I, uh, understanding that I have um, a transnational identity, which is my identity in Christ, liberated me to embrace transnational responsibility. So for Britain, I am as responsible for the work of God in Britain. I am as responsible as any Brits uh, on the mission of God, because this is my father's um, job. This is my, it's God's people, it's uh, uh, humanity. So that, that liberated me to engage. So it's really helping them to journey, to take that journey and not necessarily resign from the pastoral position like me, but actually uh, transform the way they do church, the way they, they, they engage with the local community, the way they interact with the younger generation and, and really to see beyond um, their ethnicity and collaborate with others. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really helpful perspective. And Caroline, tell us about how you kind of got up to London Project and what attracted you to this work. London Project. So um, I actually came to faith later on in life, so in my late 20s. And I think um, from there, I just really had, um, you know, a desire to share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus to everyone. And um I basically have gone from um, being just a disciple in a church and kind of going, okay, so what does this mean? To then actually, you know, coming to some of, even the, some of the teachings of Tim Keller and um, the church that I was in was very much interested also in, you know, how the gospel affects all aspects of life. Um, so from a professional view, I trained as an architect. I've worked in lots of different industries from banking and finance. I've worked a little bit in world event, um, sporting events, and I've worked for uh, the Mayor of London um, on different projects and programmes there, um, and kind of got to this stage where it was like, um, where do I take this from now on, now that I've become a, a Christian? Um, and so I did a period working for my church, um, and I guess I've always thought, you know, there's been this kind of 
thread through um, my faith journey where I've had this passion for the city, um, but also a passion for Jesus. And I think the first time where I thought, oh, these come together is this kind of all this talk on gospel city movement. I was, so I was really interested in that. Um, I also worked um, for uh, a, a Christian mission um, that's based in London um, prior to this. And so like Germa, I had been... Um, sort of just meeting lots of people um, different parts of the church um, in London especially um, and came into contact with Neil through that and um, yeah just really um, heard the the real vision to see a gospel city movement in London and to me it was just that was like all my things colliding all my passions colliding in one um, hence finding myself here. From what I understand about your background too you have experience in uh, working with organizations and um, uh, city um, initiatives and things for social good and interest in sort of social impact, social good kinds of work. Um, I'm curious how that experience influences the kinds of things you hope to see come through the London project? Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, like whether it be local government or charity sector or like grassroots community organisations, there are a lot of people that are trying to do good in the city. Um, but I guess as Christians, um, you know, we have a different, not, not always a different, I would say... More of a definition of what good actually means, right? So, if we're talking about, you know, when it when it talks about and it calls us seek seek the the peace, the shalom of the city, that that word shalom has so much more meaning meaning than maybe just like doing good, um, in in different things. Some of those things are the same, you know, the same impact we want to see, you know, whether it be like child poverty or, um, you know, a decrease in youth crime in the city or whatever it might be, um, you know, better health care for people and, and more equality, all of these sorts of things. But I think, um, you know, as the church, we, we have a unique perspective to that. Um, and I think sometimes what it is, there's so much to learn from others that are working in this in this space. But I, I, I just believe that each of them have different roles to play. Um, so government have a role, business has a role, communities has a role. And I think sometimes the question is left, is like, well, what's the church's role? Yeah. And that kind of comes to an understanding of the identity of the church. And so, yeah, we could argue that, you know, to society nowadays, the church is becoming more relevant. Like, what what are we here for? We were this relic from, you know, the past history or not necessarily a good one. You know, lots of things like that. But, you know, when, it, when we actually look at who we are called to be and our identity as uh, the body of Christ, you know, it's... It's a shame we're not known as the community of peace, the community of healing, where people of brokenness can find sanctuary. Um, you know, was the fact that we are, you know, supposed to be ministers of reconciliation. And, you know, all of these things are part of who we are and our identity. And I'm not saying that that isn't something we, as the church, are all on are not doing but i don't think sometimes um yeah often society doesn't really relate us to those words yeah. <laughs> and often as a church we don't relate those to us either because we're like oh we're we're still you know how can we be that right. and um 
yeah and how can we be be that with the authority that's given to that you're rotating on something i think is an important concept here germ i've heard you use this term but i think you're um kind of teasing out some of the concept it's the idea of city consciousness um can you describe what that means to you and why it's an important part of what's happening here at the london project so um it's the idea actually occurred occurred to me as I was reading the Book of Romans. You know, the fact that Paul wrote um, Romans to, um, to as if he's writing to one church in Rome, but actually there was um, more more than one churches in in Rome. So he was dealing with them as if he's dealing with one church. So there is a trend um, in the New Testament that the church in the city is, God deals with the church in the city as if there is only one church in the city, his church in the city. It doesn't, it doesn't undermine its locality, but there is also a sense of commonality. There's a common mandate um, given to the, the churches in the city, his church in the city, to reach the city, to serve the gospel need of the city. So, um, so uh, that really surprised me uh, to, to observe that, um, that we usually um, focus on our... Uh, so, so the question is, okay, so if God sees us as, as his church in the city and there is a common mandate to reach the city, to serve the gospel in the city, how could, so what, what is the right uh, course of action for us to actually to come together and um, do mission? So when you see the church, we are very localized, very um, inward-looking in a way, you know, within the building, and you know, we 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 are entangled with our own kind of community, and there is no sense of um, having that citywide outlook or really trying to discern what God is doing um, throughout the city. So because of that, but 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 uh, because of that. Um, there isn't any kind of uh, effort uh, in to collaborate or, um, you know, like, so the, I think when we don't have a citywide perspective, we feel like what we are doing is so big. Uh, you know, I, I remember uh, meeting um, a leader uh, whose church is really doing very, very well. And there is a sense of pride and satisfaction because your church is growing. But when we talk about the fact that we have 9 million people in London and this church is like 500 people, right. you know, the, it's really, it humbled him to say, wow. So, so it's not a job of a one church. It's not a job of a one denomination. It's not a job of one institute, institution. It's our job. So how can I... Uh, see what I am doing in my locality uh, is actually contribute to the work uh, of God in the city. So this city consciousness is like it's not it's like doing what you are doing in your locality with having the city in mind, knowing that that changes the the whole dynamics. It's like uh, you know in Nehemiah's time, you know the wall, um, the, the it was built with 15, within fifty two days. But everybody was doing the wall in front of his 
households and uh, but knowing that that part of the wall they are building is actually connected to the city-wide, uh, you know, the city, it's connected with the, the other, you know, kind of the city. So you see the significance of what you are doing in your locality to the to the to the city um, to the city-wide work of God. So when you have that city consciousness then you, the other people's success becomes your success. Others' failure becomes your failure. You cry with those who, are, who, are, who failed. You celebrate with those who, are, who have celebrated. There is resource that God has given you which could contribute the work of God in other parts of um, the city. And there are other resources that you can tap into when you have the city consciousness and engage uh, knowing there is a common mandate, there is nothing else. It's, it's to reach the, the the gospel need of the city. So God entrusted us with different gifts and resources, and we can um, bring that by share that with gospel generosity when we have that um, consciousness. So this is a really what um, you know, um, the city consciousness uh, is all about. Yeah, I hear in your explanation there and in your personal story, a sort of um, autobiographical uh, emphasis in your city consciousness, meaning it, it was meaningful to you to sort of begin to see outside of your um, ethnic Ethiopian context to a broader view. Um, and so it's interesting now to see that kind of developing into a passion to bring other people into that kind of broader vision. Yeah. And we haven't mentioned it here, but in previous conversations that we've had, and Caroline, you've mentioned your, you mentioned here your background in architecture and um, have alluded in other places to kind of interest in, in the local, the, the built environment and per, the particularities of places. Mm. Um, and these positions are not at odds, but there's an interesting uh, kind of give and take here, I think, between Gurma's emphasis on sort of rising to the city consciousness and what I've heard you describe as a sort of paying close attention to your locality. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if you could just talk a minute about the what, what to you is the value of thinking locally and kind of, you know, uh, at, the, at the neighborhood place yeah. level in your city. Yeah, well, I think it was the pandemic that really started to kind of re-emphasize some of these ideas to me because it was just this idea of like, you know, we were stuck, weren't we, in one place. <laughs> and what did that mean? What did that look like? How? What was its effect on church and things? And But also, I think, before, prior to that, um, whether it be, you know, globalization, whether it be just the fact that uh, the ease of travel from place to place, you know, there's this kind of almost this feeling of, you know, we can be everywhere and anywhere. Um, and um, actually, it kind of dawned to me that, you know, like, as we become followers of Jesus, we um, have this new identity, we have this new purpose and mission um, that comes with that identity, but we're always, it's always operating in a place, in a locality, in a geography, right? Jesus was born in a place. It wasn't just this, you know, um, 
and it wasn't random as well. Uh, there's a sovereignty to it, isn't it? You know, that we are put in the locations that we're put in mm -hmm. with the neighbours on either side that we're put in. Um, so I think um, what I've realised as well is like that background, you know, it's like when you start joining things up. The, um, the when I was studying architecture, it was a lot about, you know, um, I had a real interest and emphasis on public space, um, what public space meant um, in terms of, you know, like how people interact in it and um, how it engages people, um, how it gives identity to communities even. And um, yeah, so I guess this is something that I'm still kind of thinking about. And uh, to me, it, there is so many... Um, yeah, it's, it, to me, it links so much with what we talk about and discuss about contextualization. Um, and yeah, I guess from a missional perspective, we could talk about contextualization in terms of understanding um, the communities and the, and the people and their ethnicities and the languages and the cultural barriers or whatever it might be. Uh, the cultural barriers might have to be crossing to share the gospel in heart languages. But I think there's also something about the environments especially in urban environments um, that, um, yeah, that affect the way people behave, mm -hmm. um, the affect the way, and we don't necessarily realise it. Um, we were talking about the other day just about like, you know, how there are actually boundaries in the geography that you won't see on a map. Um, you know, we can see this where it comes to like youth gangs, for example, that's like you're crossing a boundary. Didn't know it was there, but mm -hmm. there might be some physical line there. But even as, as anyone who's walked in a city that they don't necessarily know will know as they walk and they do their walk, they will realise that they are going into different areas and different boundaries that might not just be because it's a different neighbourhood. Um, and so I think it's, to me, it's interesting because it's, part of how we understand the place um, and the people um, and the communities in which we are we are and in which we are sharing the gospel in which we're living in the living out um, our gospel lives yeah that's great I, my role at city to city is with our globally facing office and so i find that there's always this sort of uh, toggling we do between the universal and the particular and between the local and the global. And it's really a, a dynamic that continues to intrigue me that we well, want to talk about global vision, yeah. but the global vision can only be operationalized at a local level. So. Yeah, I mean, as an architect, I think I think of it like scales. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you're doing a drawing of a building, you you do you look at the scale of the detail that that picks out different things and gives you different perspectives. You look at how that building sits within, you know, its context. Uh, you know, I'm I know that in the states, you guys are doing inches and things, but we're in metric. <laughs> I, I did a I'll summer program in the States, so it really confused me. I had like quarter inch scale and stuff like that. But you know, here it would be, you know, the one-to-one -one detail of like, how does this join with this? Because we want to make sure that, you know, um, like, yeah, like the building stands up, but at the same time, it's, you know, the one to 50, which would be the layout at one to 100 or 200 of how that building sits in its context, you know? And I think at each of those, you're looking at the same thing, but you notice different particularities and there's a different focus for each. I think at the London Project, we have the privilege of working at a scale that isn't at the everyday of a, a local church leader, let's say, um, and, and say, look, this scale is still applicable to you. Um, 
but we we also have that privilege of being able to see something in in Hounslow and see how it relates to what's happening in King's Cross or Elephant and Castle. That's a really helpful metaphor. The the scaling. I'm kind of picturing the peeling various layers of uh, blueprints or something, and the way the 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 pieces add up to something larger than than you could intuit from any one um, of those sheets is really kind of an interesting way to think about the work. And local church leaders do it all the time. They'll do it on a person scale, right? From, you know, when they're pastoring or it's, you know, a one-to-one scale to, you know, a small group scale to, yeah. But I think sometimes, I guess, there's different things that can be lost at each. And, you know, if you're looking too much only at the citywide scale, you lose the kind of the humanness because we are limited right so but then if you are too into the detail here you lose the bigger picture um and i don't know i just think it just brings me draws me to the wonder of god who works at all scales at all times and you know and more i think even now even when we talk about the city consciousness it's all that it's it's it grounds you where you are to 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 do what you're doing locally with 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 um, understanding that it has um, wider implication, you know whether you like it or not. So, so that awareness is very very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Now we've been talking in different ways about loving the city of London. I'm curious to hear from each of you what what does it mean, sort of concretely? What does it cost? What are the responsibilities that come with saying that you're committed to loving London. Are we going to talk about the joys as well? <laughs> the cost? Absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to get concrete, yeah. so whichever direction you want to go. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been reflecting on 1 Corinthians 13, you know, where it's like talking about all these things that you could be doing, but without love, what is it? You know? And then you kind of go, well, what is the love that they're actually talking about? And it's that, you know, oh, it's an impossible love, isn't it? <laughs> it's a love that is God, God, and it's agape love. And, you know, and you kind of think, wow, what is that? And it feels so overwhelming, but it is only possible with God. And um, it's amazing that we are able to to be bring part of that as it were um so yeah i think um in a way we can say you know yeah i love my city i love coffee um but to love your city deeply in a way that is patient is kind is you know it never fails i mean we're all we're all on a journey to trying to do that right um and yeah, there is sacrifice involved. Um, I think the biggest thing is the commitment that is required for it. I mean, that passage is used for, for weddings, isn't it, usually? And you're like, whoa, am I really going to love this community like I'm supposed to love my husband? You know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's deep. Um, and I think, you know, when I was younger, I always had these dreams of like, you know, working anywhere in the world and, you know, living everywhere and, you know, but... I think, I don't know, maybe I feel like I'm getting older, but, um, well, I am getting older. Um, But I think the commitment part in it is really key. 
like even just knowing like and committing to a community into an area i think in cities where there is such transience um that can be hard and it can be costly um not just emotionally because well i feel emotionally it's costly because everyone that i meet seems to be going leaving so it's like what's it like to still be here when i wanted to be the one to you know go everywhere but it's also financially costly right it's not cheap to live in the city and to stay in the city and um and you know um to prioritize the mission and that gospel living um in a way that kind of turns some of your decisions a bit upside down um you know most most people in my area are either living because they're being priced out or they're living to so that their kids can go to better schools and then it's like, well, what does that look like? Am I like depriving my kids of going to better schools by not moving or, you know, so there's decisions on that sort of level, but I think it's ultimately, you know, decisions on what it actually takes to have that agape love for your community and for the city. I think I, I, I totally agree with um, what um, with what uh, Caroline was saying. I think for me, there's three things that uh, comes to mind when, when I think about life in the city. The first one is, um, you know, sometimes when you talk about city, it's, it can be abstract. Uh, and, you know, how do you love the city? This, loving the city is actually loving your neighbor, loving the people that you work with, loving the, you know, the community, the people that you engage with. So trying to make it a concrete, like a really um, the visible, um, visibly engaging, you know, looking at people around you, seeing um, the situation, seeing the difficulties, really understanding and making yourself available to, to listen to that. That is one, one um, aspect. And the other one is um, making yourself available for God um, because you know, as Caroline was saying, you you know we can be in a city. Um, uh, you know, especially for me, other das. You know, somebody who came from um, other countries. We, you know, you tended to live here, but your heart could be back home, and you are not really available for God anywhere. You know, your heart is back home. Your body, your physically, you're here. Where would how how you know you're not you're not so so the the need to be available where you are to have the heart of God for the community that you're living uh, with is absolutely crucial and that is how you 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 know it is not my love it's actually his love so to channel his love I need to make myself available for him and that is um, you know one one the other aspect and I think certainly. It's a posture, uh, you know, uh, the posture of serving, the posture of listening, the posture of engaging with the community, the posture uh, posture of uh, somebody said that um, there cannot be love um, for the individual without uh, justice in, in the community. So you can't just say, I love you, the person that you meet in the church, without, and... and not care about 
the system that is affecting him. So it is really being aware of that and finding a way to contribute to the transformation of that situation. So that's, that is, um, um, yeah. What, what do you envision happening in London through the work that yeah. the London Project is doing? Yeah. So, um, you know, looking at where we are now in terms of um, our relationship with the church as church leaders, as well as, you know, from uh, church leaders uh, in this very diverse uh, city, people who have come from, you know, from different backgrounds and tribes, different denominations. I, you know, I, I aspire to see um, wholehearted embracing our common mandate and um, recognizing the, the our need for others, that you know, the fact that we can't do on our own and actually for this um, very diverse city, we need uh, all kinds of kinds of churches. And just because the other church is different from mine, it doesn't mean that's not a church. So this, this broader understanding of the, the community and the family of God and that sense of um, collaboration and, and really um, engaging with each other with gospel generosity. That I, I, I aspire to see that growing and that people are very comfortable and in engaging with others. That is that that I want that mindset change in in the Christian community. And um, obviously, this, the deeper understanding of city consciousness, how that 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 you know that is. Uh, informing um, how we disciple our congregation because our, our congregation, uh, people from our congregation work and entertain in the city. So what is happening in the city affects, uh, whether we like it or not, affects them. So our understanding of the city and having that citywide um, consciousness would help how we disciple them and keep them for the life of, uh, you know, their workplace and, and other places. So a deeper understanding and engagement of city consciousness and really um, the the link, uh, the local linking with the wider, um, that's, that's, that becomes a language that we speak. I want to see that. And obviously, church planting, many church planting, and, and, and the dias- particularly in the diaspora side, I think I want to see um, the diaspora churches being missionally concerned and involved to reach the white community, and um, you know uh, that uh, there is a bridge, um, you know, building bridges between the, those two communities, uh, where um, sharing the gospel and dream mission is possible. And that I want that 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 kind of different bridges being built, and and cross cultural mission uh, is exercised. So yeah, Caroline, how about you? In 10 years, yes, okay. So I was thinking about this because I was working on the Olympics in 2012, which was 10 years ago. Mm. And I was thinking during the time of the Olympics, you know, it was this incredibly special time in the city. Londoners were actually friendly, (laughs) right? It changed the whole mood of the city. The way people interacted with each other was very different. And it was, you know, in that that period of the games. Um, And I think, you know... Like, 
our prayer really is that we would see this city transformed by the gospel and how does it do it it does it by more and more people coming to know the gospel to come to put their faith in Jesus Christ but it's really this way of actually um how can we how can we see that happen so I feel that the only way that we are actually going to see that is if the church can really reimagine its identity um and and for that to happen we need to have a united church we need to have a church where you know where we see church leaders are calling each other friends where there is that relational um unity that can only come about because of the gospel um uh, we need to see um that kind of level of collaboration that that runs deep and along with like even church leaders and the, and and friendship, we want to see a maturity in the body of Christ. Um, we want to see a maturity where people are really understanding and living out what it means to live out the, both the gospel breadth and the gospel depth. You know, so I think the fullness of the gospel um, impacting all aspects of their lives. Um, yeah, and we we pray that we see the majority of the population in this city. Um, come to know and live out their lives in a gospel way. And our hope is really that God does the unimaginable. <laughs> yeah. Many thanks to Caroline and Gurma for their hospitality. For more information about the work they do, visit thelondonproject.co.uk. If you live in London and were inspired by what you heard from them today, please reach out. I know they'd love to connect with you. Next week on the podcast, we talk with writer Thomas Dija about what the recent history of New York City can teach us about what makes a city tick and how we can work together to bring change. How to Reach the West Again is a production of Redeemer City to City. This episode was produced, written, and hosted by Brandon O'Brien. Our associate producer is Braden Gregg. The interview was recorded on location in London by Moises Zetina and Luke Gates of Westway Records and edited by Lee Jerkins. Tim Keller's talk, God's Global Urban Mission, was recorded by the Lausanne Movement in 2010 and was used with permission. You can find the video at lausanne.org. Redeemer City to City is a nonprofit organization co-founded by Tim Keller and supported by generous people like you. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, leave us a review, and consider making a gift to support the work at www.redeemercitytocity.com slash give.